to Fidget, a BFRB podcast. I sleep with a notebook next to my bed. I do this because I have an irrational fear of forgetting the thoughts that come to me at 3 a.m. I say the fear is irrational because, Jason, you're not going to forget these thoughts. These 3 a.m. thoughts have been on repeat in your mind. They're the same thoughts that have kept you up in the first place. How could you possibly forget? But that's just it. I do. I do forget. In all my sticky frustration, it cooled into a false blanket of security. So is it irrational or not? Which one is it? This fear of forgetting thoughts, it's an anticipation of the embarrassment, the anger I'll direct towards myself when I know there's something meaningful I've forgotten. I finally picked up a valuable key to my personal anxiety maze, put it in my pocket, but in my overexcitement, I didn't zip up the pocket. Jason, the pocket has a zipper. Are you so stupid you didn't zip it up? One of the voices you're going to hear from in this episode is Allie. When I sent it to her to review, she said she just wanted to jump in on everyone else's clips. People who she's never met, but already knows? That's been my experience in making Fidget. Talking to people with BFRBs, I get these moments of deja vu. I hear words that are so familiar to me, but I've just let slip through the pocket of my consciousness. And for that, I'm infinitely grateful. Sure, I have a few friends that, you know, they'll get down on their knees to help you look for that key, but not everyone knows what that key looks like. They'll hold something up and ask, is this it? Could you describe it to me one more time? That's the problem. I don't remember what it looks like. Ugh, it's fine. Let's just give up. It's gone forever. People with BFRBs will know it when they see it. Because they've lifted up their own couches to look for their own lost keys. It's a whole search party. For this episode, I want to introduce you to some of them. There's a lot I'm personally looking for. Too much for one episode. So to try to focus this one, something I've always wondered was, what is the root of my BFRB? To begin the introductions, Sahara, what do you think has contributed to your BFRB? I think there's a lot of different factors. And I think the one thing that I had to really realize and learn is that I think the trick, the BFRB and the trick developed from a need to kind of like self-regulate, whether I was just like really anxious or depressed all the time and just really needing like a physical outlet that I felt like I wasn't taking up too much space, you know, I wasn't, you know, vocal or, you know, fighting with my parents all the time or fighting with school admin all the time. So I felt like BFRBs are kind of that thing where it's like, okay, I'm kind of self-regulating. I'm having a moment. Um, I think the anxiety from just being in that school environment, so just pressures to do well in school, but it's like, what does it mean to do well in school when school isn't really that like fun of a place for me to be? Um, knowing like what my mom and my dad sacrificed for me to be at a quote unquote good school. Um, I think there's a lot of pressures, a lot of pressures and, you know, perfectionism started to develop as a symptom of my anxiety. And, you know, I think BFRBs became this thing where it's one thing that I can control, you know, um, it's something that I can do that 
I know it sucks <laughs> and I shouldn't be doing it, but I'm doing it because maybe it's pleasurable in the moment or maybe I just need to kind of zone in on something and so I'll pull my eyelashes or what have you. And I think that's kind of all how it came about, just a mesh of just different experiences, all trickling back down to anxiety. Um, and I think the anxiety just manifested its way as a BFRB, yeah. There's many juicy ideas in there. But again, to focus this episode, I'm zeroing in on this pressure to do well and how it interferes with our lives. Sahara just spoke about school. Here's Ali sharing as well. Okay, so I think when I initially started school, I I was in the communications program. So I was I was sure that I was going to to work in public relations. I sort of had this identity as like someone who was a like a peacemaker, someone who got along with everybody, somebody who's able to kind of like resolve conflict and sort of able to, you know, smooth over any sort of uh, unrest (laughs) in certain circumstances. So I started studying communications in school and I realized all of a sudden that even though I was very vocal in like my classes, um, always had my hand raised sitting in the front row. I was that annoying person (laughs) who always spoke. (laughs) Suddenly, yeah, I had suddenly I had one public speaking class. Everyone in communications was required to do public speaking, whether you were going to be like production, um, media production, or you were going to be doing um, like public relations. And so everyone had to take this public this public speaking class. And all of a sudden, I would stand up in front of my class to give my first speech. And I like within moments just had this feeling of just sickness come over me and I just sprinted to the bathroom and just started like throwing up and it and the same thing happened during my next speech and I was just like what in the world like I have no problem speaking to these people when I'm sitting amongst them engaging in conversation but all of a sudden I'm like too terrified to you know to address a bunch of people in a room like I did theater in high school like I was a cheerleader you know all these these things where I was kind of standing in front of people and never had any issue so like what like what the hell kind of what the hell Allie there was this club I used to volunteer for a lot our biggest meeting of the year was our kickoff in September when a hundred first years would come and just hear what the club was all about before the event the chapter president tapped me on the shoulder and was like Jason, like, you have such good energy. You can share what it's like as a newer member. Like, would you want to do it? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. I'm so honored. And I wrote and I rewrote what I was going to say. And at a certain point, I'm like, oh, if I really want to show my energy, I'm going to I'm going to memorize it. (laughs) Well, there I go standing up in front of 100 people. And I started and I'm like, hey, everyone, welcome to the club. There's so many great things about it. And like, ah, and I forgot what I was going to say. So then I'm like, hold on, let me start again. And then I went down this other path. And that wasn't exactly what I wanted to say either. And then boom, I just fainted. (laughs) When I woke up, still in the middle of the lecture hall with a hundred people watching me, there were two paramedics and they were asking me questions like, are you diabetic? Did you eat? Do you have low blood sugar? 
And I'm like, no, I'm not diabetic. Yes, I ate today. No, I'm just an idiot. I'm an idiot who tries to memorize speeches. An idiot who makes things too hard for himself. Well, here we are, our episode. BFR beers definitely have a way of making things difficult for themselves. Here's Mish. I literally had a breakdown two days ago because I was sending in my first job application and I typed, hi, I hope you're having a nice morning coffee. And my boyfriend was next to me and he was going, yeah, you should totally write that. That's really you. And I was like, no, that's too informal. No, no, no. What if she doesn't drink coffee? What if she drinks tea? What if she drinks lemonade for breakfast? What if she doesn't want to hire me because of that? And I literally had a breakdown because of one single sentence. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I just love to come over the same email. Put in a comma, take it out. Put in a comma, take it out. Is this a two exclamation mark kind of email? Three seems too much. Let me tell you, Jason, it's all too much. And it's one thing to linger on one email, but what's more is there are just so many emails I feel like I need to send. Megan, you know what I'm saying? It's like if I do have a handful of things in front of me that need to get done, it's I can't get my brain to really understand that you can't get them all done at one time. But my like because my brain is constantly wanting to do that. I the the rule that I had was is I have to do A B C D E what however many things are on my list before I can take the time to relax, and that's just I think a surefire way to burn yourself out when it's not about listening to yourself and realizing when you need to take that time as much as you just keep burning the candle at both ends until you finally decide okay enough on my list has been done. Um, and with how much I've just had going on in the last year and a half, maybe a little more, it, it almost was this realization that I had to come to that, like, girl, your list isn't gonna just be like over at one point, like a part of life is that things come up and things come off the list as things are getting added to that list. And so I really had to kept telling myself, like, you can't just run like there's like a finish line to your life that... That's just not how it works out. But how I love to run. I want to do this, and I want to do this. I want to sign up for this, and it all has to be done the way I want to do it. Gordon is going to talk about this in the context of work and a group he was helping to run. The same thing happens for me at work with delegation. Um, I just, I'm like, I got to keep all this stuff because I, because um, <laughs> I don't, I mean, it's a double-edged sword. It's like, I don't. You know, perfectionism for me is an element. It's like, I, I got to get this just right. And I've found a way of doing this. And clearly, this is the only way it can be done well, <laughs> which is a very self-centric, um, not necessarily egocentric, but it, it could be read that way. But like, it's under the guise of only I can do this. Therefore, it can only be done in the way that I figured out. And that leads to me thinking, um, well, I don't trust this other person to do it. They're not going to do it my way and then it's not going to get done or whatever. So that, that definitely was a factor with the group where it's like I was holding really tight because I didn't want it to fail or whatever. And yet it became this love-hate thing where it's like, <laughs> I got to make this work because it's so important, but I really don't like doing it, you know, um, which is why, you know, it, it takes some, uh, I don't know if I don't know if it took courage, but like, <sighs> It's one thing to know this is what I struggle with. 
but something else entirely to change my actions. What's with this need to figure it out on my own? Eric jumps in with his thoughts. Yeah, I I don't know why I sometimes feel the need to just go figure it out on my own and not not ask for help. You know, I'd rather I'd rather internalize it. And um, I think I think that is a it's a learned pattern of behavior. It can be influenced by other people, but it I think it does it does sometimes come from just your own anxiety. Like I, for some reason, we have that uh, that innate expectation. I should be good at this, and I'm not. And part of growing up, I guess, is figuring out I'm not good at everything. I'm sure that there's long discussions elsewhere on the internet about, you know, whether that's because people were mean to you when you were a kid, or, you know, how how you got to that place. You know, I don't think I realized that that was even happening sometimes in my life. You know, that it's like, well. I feel bad that I don't automatically know what I'm doing or that I'm not like hyper competent at my job all the time. It's okay to not know what you're doing all the time. And you certainly don't need to take it out on yourself when you don't. I certainly don't, but that's exactly what I'm doing. And this productivity thing that you said, it it really hit me as well because I have been struggling with this for a year. And I think maybe skin picking was also a way of punishing myself for not being productive enough. I don't know if you ever had that feeling. So I I would work and I would spend hours on work and I I wouldn't feel like I'm getting enough done because you're sitting in the same room. You're not moving. You're not moving forward or backward. You're just stuck in the same place. And then I would start picking and being like, it's bad. You're not working hard enough. It was like a punishment almost. I don't know if you've ever felt that way during productive hours. Yeah, is it self-punishment? I feel like my trained response to this line of thinking isn't useful either. It's just a new opportunity for more shame. Jason, why can't you just relax? Why can't you just let go, step back? Why are you doing this to yourself? Gordon, what do you think about this? It feels a little weird, like, to step back. Like, it, it feels it feels good and grounding in a way that I'm taking stepping, like stepping back away from holding the reins. It feels really good that someone's taking them on. And yet there's still a remaining, a tiny little nuanced shade of like guilt there. Just this delicious little amuse-bouche of guilt. How does it taste, Sahara? (laughs) So I laugh because I feel like my anxiety is also linked to like productivity linking itself to perfectionism, linking itself to how I'm appearing to others. And so it's like this whole cycle of like, if I'm productive, that means I'll be successful. And if I'm successful, that means there's more accolades I can share with people. And if there's more accolades I can share with people, that means they know I'm doing well in the world and that my parents raised me well. They didn't waste all their money sending me to college and a great high school. And then I get tired and then I'm like, ugh. I'm doing these things that really is nothing I really want to do or like I'm doing too much of it. Like there are things I want to do, but I'm doing like 10 projects at a time. And so then I have this moment of like depression and then I'm like, oh, I'm depressed. I haven't done anything a while in a while. And then it's just this whole cycle again. I think in terms of my career field, I'm very productive and very uh, I'm, I'm in a place at a young age where I, I can go at any route, you know, in my career field in public health. Um, but then I think in the back of my mind, the little voice inside my head, Miss Anxiety, is just kind of like, so that's it? That's all you're doing? <laughs> you can be doing a little bit more. 
And so I think it's like, I'm really productive, but I think the little, yeah, the little voice in the back of my head is always just like, eh, what else could we be doing? Like, I, I know there's something else we could be doing because you're not doing enough. Oh, what a big, fun pageant we're all competing in. Behind each door, a shiny new way to be mean to myself. This announcer's voice echoing self-doubt over and over and over again. Long term, what does this do to us, Allie? I think that I was in such a, um, this state of, like, questioning myself that I sort of came under this assumption that everyone around me was just always judging me and not saying anything. Whereas, you know, I had been like a pretty sociable, like I was in a sorority. I was very active and, you know, like I had good like exercise habits and I I got good grades. Um, And then all of a sudden to have everything sort of feel like things were different. I really took on this idea that the world was looking down upon me or frowning upon me and that I just like didn't deserve to like exist amongst the rest of them, you know, the normies, the normies. Uh, And so, and it really, like I, I did get really kind of depressed during that time because in my mind, I just assumed that I was always being judged with this taste And it took me a long time to get out of that headspace. So I I think that when you're always worried about how other people see you to the point that you see yourself a certain way, then it's really challenging to pump yourself up to kind of move, move on from that. So, yeah, so I was very fragile at that time. (laughs) Fragile. That word really stuck out to me. It was a feeling that I had running unchecked for so long. Before we were talking about all this pressure I was putting on myself in school and work, but now this fragility pushed me to this gotta get 100% perfectionism coping mechanism in other areas of my life too. Eric shares about this. Yeah, I think, because I think there are things you need to get 100 on sometimes, but there are other things that... I don't have to create a whole PowerPoint presentation to answer this person's question. I can probably just write the number down on a napkin and hand it to them. And they got their answer. I wouldn't say that I'm good at that, but it's the same thing in your, in your mental house. Do I need to spend a whole lot of time on this? Sometimes you do. You know, if you just got broke up with, you need to, you need to spend some time processing that you know? um, or something like that. But if somebody cuts you off in traffic or you have to make a, you have to call the doctor's office or something like that. Maybe you don't need to, to, to get a hundred percent on that doctor's office phone call. Maybe you had to stop in the middle of a sentence and correct yourself. I'm sure the receptionist at the doctor's office does not care. You know, I can't believe that he said the wrong word and had to correct himself. I'm never picking up the phone when that number calls again. You know, like what, 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 what did we think was going to happen? when we got 87% on the doctor's office phone call. (laughs) The the stakes are really low for this guys. As long as you made the, as long as as you made the appointment, you know what time you're going to the doctor, you won. Congratulations. You know, some things are just a pass fail, not 90% or 80%. Did, did you successfully 
communicate to the receptionist at the doctor's office when you need to see the doctor. And, and now you have an appointment time. Congratulations, you win. You know, so why, why am I nervous before I call the doctor's office? Yeah, if I had a dollar every time I looked back and reflected on experience and I said, wow, you did great. Why did you have to make it so hard on yourself in the process? <laughs> I would be, I would have at least $20. No, probably more than that. <laughs> Hopefully you heard something in there that resonated with you. I think managing BFRBs is a multi-step process. I wanted this episode to bring some awareness to some of the challenges, and we can cover some tactics in future episodes. Making this episode definitely made me feel less alone in the world. Thanks for listening, and if you want to share about some of the pressure you put on yourself, we'd love to hear it. Email us at fidgetpodcast at gmail.com, or our Instagram is at fidgetpodcast. On this episode, you heard the lovely voices of Sahara Dixon, Allie Dwyer, Michelle, people usually call me Mish, Gordon, Eric Callison, Megan Hunt. Thanks to Cheyenne for the logo, Thomas for the music, and until next time, stay tuned. <laughs>